0: I had many, many friends that when we were, there was lots of us when we were young together, but as I got older, less and less of my friends were sticking around. They couldn't retain their career in such a way that they couldn't make a living doing it.
1: Hi, it's Joel Pilger, and you're listening to episode 53 of the RevThinking Podcast, the conversation between creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. Today's topic is the four stages of a creative career featuring Tim Thompson on a fresh agenda. Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for next generation creative entrepreneurs. Now, here is your host,
2: Joel Pilger.
1: Hey, it's Joel. Welcome back to the Rev Thinking Podcast. Glad to have you with us today. Today, we are going to offer up a broadcast featuring Tim Thompson. He was recently a guest of Christina Mendanza on her podcast, A Fresh Agenda, where the two of them discussed Tim's concept called the four stages of a creative career. Now, there was a recent episode that we had where Tim was uh, speaking at Promax BDA in New York And he talked about the four stages. But what's cool about his interview with Christina is he doesn't necessarily walk her through the concept so much as they discuss the concept, its relevance, how it works, and of course, what you should be doing about it if you are a creative entrepreneur navigating your way through the industry. Now, before we get to that episode, a few announcements. First up is Creative Entrepreneurs Master Your Marketing and Sales Strategy, This is a session that Tim Thompson will be delivering in New York City at the Made in New York Media Center. This is a session calling all small media and entertainment businesses to join us for an interactive workshop on how to master your marketing strategy and sales cycle to increase business. It's brought to you by the New York City Department of Small Business Services Again, that's Wednesday, October 3rd. It's going to be from 9 to 11 in the morning. It is free. You do have to register. You can find out more details at the RevThink website. Yours truly will be speaking in New York at the New York City College of Technology on Thursday, October 11th. Going to be speaking to the students there about business and getting into business and starting business and all sorts of good stuff. I'm looking forward to meeting all those folks there. Also, cohort, it's that time for those of you that are uh, members of this invitation only. These are curated Jeffersonian dinners with fellow business owners who operate studios and agencies and production companies. The dates are Denver, Thursday, October 4th, New York City, Wednesday, October 10th, and Los Angeles on Thursday, November the 1st. These are invitation only, so if you are not on that list, feel free to go to RevThink.com and find Cohort, and you can put in a request to receive an invite if you feel like you are one of the people that should be part of that group. These dates are subject to change, so please bear with us. We're working with a lot of people's busy schedules. Final announcement next up on the podcast. I'm super proud and excited to say we have Bradley Munkowitz, a.k.a. G-Monk. Now, G-Monk is a designer, a director, and galactic crusader, (laughs) his words, uh, whose work is characterized as a hybrid of science fiction themes informed by psychedelic visual palettes. Now, most of you who know G-Monk's work might know of his work on Tron Legacy and my personal favorite, Oblivion such a great film and his design work is stunning. He's going to be on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So come back soon and hear from Bradley. Okay. To today's episode with Tim Thompson on the podcast, A Fresh Agenda being interviewed by Christina Mendoza.
2: Tim, I was so excited to be down in LA with you recently to, uh, to take your course on the perfect pitch on constructing the pitch and being around all those creative people down there was, um, was so much fun to hear about everything everyone's into. So I can see why, uh, you know, you have stayed in this career and wanted to help these entrepreneurs reach the next level.
0: Oh yeah. Isn't that crowd so fun that there's just something great about being in a room full of actors and TV producers. You can feel the energy. You can hear the dreams that they're trying to live out. You can hear the aspiration of trying to take on new challenges. And in that case, um, making television content. I I love that that entire course. It's so fun.
2: So for people who are not in the entertainment industry or don't have much experience with it, it seems so glamorous and so interesting. Tell me a little bit about your background, how you got into, uh, into the entertainment industry.
0: So should I make this not glamorous? No, I'm just kidding.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's glamorous, I want to hear that.
0: Oh, my gosh. Well, I, yeah, there's, uh, it's a fun story, actually. Well, uh, without knowing anything, I drove down to Los Angeles, and I parked my car in Burbank, California, and I very literally went door to door. I went into NBC Studios. I went up and down the streets. Anything that said the word production, I walked in the door and asked if I could turn in a resume. and. um one of the places I ended up that day was a place called Dick Clark Productions. And Dick Clark, of course, was known for American Bandstand. But in those days, they were doing a lot of live TV events. So live events like um, American Music Awards or um, um, different award shows, um, different uh, like presentation shows that were kind of one-offs or big events. So I got involved in Dick Clark super, super young, and got involved in this live TV group that went from show to show. And that group ended up going from American Music Awards to the Emmys and then the Oscars. So within just a few months, I was working on the red carpet with the biggest movie stars in the world on one of the biggest shows on the planet. So it was a very fast start into a very glamorous career, as you
2: might say. And it seems like the people that you're coming up with, I mean, they always say your your network is your net worth. You meet all these different people and they tell you about other jobs that are coming up and you help each other along the way.
0: Oh, yeah, very much. It's, um, I got very lucky in the time I got into career and technology was kind of new. So if you're techn- technologically savvy, they would bring you on board and let you, you know, build spreadsheets or fix things on the computer. So just being, you know, at the bottom rung of the pyramid, but having some kind of technical knowledge, I was able to keep myself busy. And so uh, different shows would not would bring you along because they think, oh, you're helpful. Let's bring you along to the next show. Um, but that network, once you're kind of in the, any bubble, in that bubble and move from location, to location or show to show. Um. It seems how that plays out for most of us. Yeah.
2: So, and one of the movies that you had mentioned you worked on was the movie Seven, which I, I remember seeing it with my husband. I think we were dating at the time, and we were so freaked out we could not even find our car after <laughs> that movie ended. How did you get to work on that movie? And and tell me about that experience.
0: Oh sure. Yeah. The um, I was actually working on the Oscars, and a friend of mine told me about a, a production studio in, in Hollywood that was hiring. Um, for, a, for a role. Basically, I would be able to make more money and have more responsibility. So I went and interviewed at this place, and they were mostly a visual effects house at the time, and they had a small group of people that did opening credits to films. So actually, the first film I worked on was Braveheart. Um, and then I worked on a few other kind of small projects, and then this guy, David Fincher, showed up talking about credit sequence he wanted to do for his upcoming film. And the design team got behind it, And um, anyone who's seen the opening credits for Seven or can remember that time period, it was something very unique. And those of us that were part of this small group of people that did opening credits, it really just transformed so many parts of our career because all of a sudden we were (laughs) thrust into um, different areas of the entertainment industry or film or commercials or more title sequences with really some of the highest directors on the planet that'd be like, Robert Redford, Steven Spielberg, Tony and Ridley Scott. We were working with these really high-end directors. But we also got to work on football stadiums and uh, biggest casinos and many, many other kind of big uh, event things. And it really was just you know, a little bit of luck, a lot of skill, um, and truly some creative genius behind it. And that's the place I learned that in this industry, creative has to win. There's a, it's the idea, it's the heart behind of all that we're doing. And there's a lot of stuff that can be put on TV, but those things that really move people and have influence in people's lives are the things that are truly creative and they have a greater impact. Um, so I was working with that team of creative geniuses that got me really falling in love with this industry and wanting to solve problems for it.
2: That title sequence, I uh, I pulled it up for my daughter who has interested in film, and I showed her and I said, "I'm going to interview the guy who created this," and she said, <laughs> "Oh, that's like American Horror Story," and I said, "Oh no no, yeah. American Horror Story is like this."
0: <laughs> yeah, and it's possible that uh, some of those some of the creatives back then are working on American Horror Story today. Um, I don't know all the crossover, but yeah, many of our, my friends are still in the industry and in influential industry industry in that design motion design creative design space and many of them are still making opening credits to films it's really fun because it's a pop culture event right and to just be involved in some pop culture event is really becomes a defining moment.
2: Absolutely. For... You know, I was, um, I I think you've probably read him too. I'm a big um, a reader of Dan Pink and and in his last book, okay. I love him. Nice. And in his last book, he talked about how, you know, information is such a commodity now and it's really the creatives that are going to rule the world in the future uh, because that's the only way that we really can differentiate ourselves. So with this podcast, I try to encourage people to think more creatively. It doesn't matter if you're in the healthcare industry or you're in uh, real estate or what you're you're doing, but one of your your writings, and I know you've spoken extensively on this, are is the four uh, aspects of a creative career, the four stages of a creative career. Yeah, four I'd stages. love to. I'd love to hear more about that.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, the four stages of the creative career actually has come from my own personal experience of what it was like to get started and some of the struggles that I remember of trying to understand what this thing is that I was doing because I wanted to get into this industry for one reason, but as I matured in it, it seemed to my needs and my lifestyle and even just the evolution of the industry itself required new changes. And I had to kind of put this into a big picture. And one of the things I observed is that I had many, many friends that when we were there was lots of us when we were young together. But as I got older, less and less of my friends were sticking around. They couldn't, they couldn't retain their career in such a way that they couldn't make a, make a living doing it. And a a lot of them, I found that they were specialists at a a certain time where they can do one trick that was really popular or really utilized for a while. But then that software changed or um, the titles moved away or, you know, even just being a film editor, no one even uses film anymore. So, so many parts and so many positions that people once held were disappearing. So today I'm a consultant and I work with a lot of creative entrepreneurs and for the longest time, I've been helping them run their business. But I, real, I started realizing that just that doesn't necessarily bridge all of our needs in our lifetime. Um, so I started thinking, well, what, is, what are these stages that we live through that as we bridge those needs, I can create some vision or purpose behind each stage of your career and even hopefully give some vision and goal for those later stages. So that's where the four stages came from.
2: All right, can we talk about, uh, let's talk about them. What The first sure. stage of your creative creative career, that's I guess when we're all young and hungry and like you were and you were, you were knocking on doors and learning your craft.
0: That's right. Now the first stage is the artist stage and that's the stage where we are the artists. We, we put brush to canvas and we get paid by the hour, by the commodity we produce. Um, when you're young in your career, you have a lot of time and not a lot of knowledge. So you leverage your time. I worked 120-hour weeks, getting paid $75 a day so that I could be part of large. And many of us who get into this industry, especially at the level of which um, myself and my clients work, which is the Hollywood or Madison Avenue type commercials, large events, most of us are very good at the creative. Otherwise, we wouldn't even really go beyond that stage of our career. But the artist stage is the first. It's the one where we're just the worker doing the work
2: what comes next?
0: The, uh, the next stage is the auteur stage. An auteur is, the word means author, but when it comes to making films, there is no real author. So we assign that title to the person who put the film together. Um, so for example, when you're, when you're watching a, a movie, you'll know that it's a Steven Spielberg movie, even though many people kind of came behind Steven Spielberg to make it happen. Um, so the auteur is the individual who gets the credit even though many people do the work behind the person. In the auteur stage, um, many people strive to maybe start a business or create some kind of platform or service that they can provide that other people can join them. Your your value increases, your income increases, um, but what you're doing is producing on a daily basis still. You're still someone like an artist where you're, you're, you are necessary in order to get the work done. The auteur still has to be there. Many people believe that that is the career, moving from artist to auteur. So if you're a successful auteur, you believe you can be done. And there are many people who are successful auteurs that can be done because they made their money. But most of us, most of us in this industry, even though we are auteurs, it's not going to take care of the rest of our life. So we have to move beyond that.
2: So when I think of, you know, another industry, perhaps this might apply to. So this might be the, um, the real estate agent who has opened up an office and has several agents working for him using his methods, or um, perhaps a, an eye surgeon who's developed a certain method for you're fixing something in the eyes and, and has a bunch of people in his practice that do this method.
0: Yeah, exactly. They're basically a specialist. They've specialized in something. And they're able to convert that specialty into some kind of program or process, something that creates a little bit of, of scale. But that scale really falls underneath them. The easy way to know you're in the auteur stage, if you stop going to work, money would stop flowing into the business. So you've positioned yourself in such a way that it's still dependent on you to be evolved or be part of what's going on.
2: Okay. So a lot of people stop, like you said, at that stage. But um, you know, money, many of us would like to go beyond that stage. So what happens next?
0: Sure. The What you need beyond that is you need to start learning how to scale. And in order to scale, you need to move, bring other people into what you're doing. So in the creative career, I call that the curator stage. A curator, like a gallery curator, is someone who takes other people's work, knowledge, and ability, and then they promote it. So they have a job, they have a role, but their role is really to engage or help others build up their career and push their work forward. So when you start bringing in that community and others into that stage, you find that you have more influence and availability to handle more of those autour pockets. So many of us will find that you move from maybe owning one autour business to being an investor or an owner of many businesses. You might still stay in the one job that you do, the one, jo- the one uh, business you created. But you will find that you have an ability because of your knowledge in your auteur stage to help others, influence others and make them successful. You might take a smaller piece of it, but your smaller piece over a larger plane really starts producing some good revenue from you. And in some cases, passive revenue, it starts building a solid base. So when you're done being a specialist, there's something else. There's other there's the otherness of things that help build and create scale. And you can still have influence over that, even though you might be no longer relevant in your career or for your time or with the one thing that you did as a specialist.
2: That really sounds kind of like a mentorship role.
0: It can totally be a mentorship role. Um, A lot of us will do mentors in all of these stages because it's good to be mentors to your peers, to someone that's up and coming, or even have a mentor or someone that's ahead of you in your career. But not all mentors or mentorships help you evolve from one stage to another. Most of us find mentors in whatever stage we're in so that we can do what we're doing better. Um, this stage is really something of recognizing because I, because I know I'm good at business and I'm part of a creative business. Oh, this younger group that I know is um, doing something in timber. I can now go and tell them what I know about business. And even though I don't know anything about timber, I know how to run a business more efficiently. And so I can join them as an investor and as an advisor, and their business thrives and becomes larger because I'm involved in a high-value role. And that conversion really is the one where I can be a a curator because I can promote other people in their career. They create value from my promotion, and I create value from being the promoter.
2: Okay. So talk to me more about the fourth uh, stage and why we should all aspire to get to that stage.
0: Yeah. um, I love this fourth stage. It's so different than anything else that we've experienced. Um, in the first three stages, um, we're, we're recognizing the workload of life. So what I can do, the time that I can spend, the knowledge I can convert. And um, in the creative world, I say that we get into this industry for one of three reasons, fame, fortune, or freedom. And I find fame being in the artist stage, for- fortune in the auteur stage, and freedom in that curator stage very few people i know really go beyond um what those three stages and you're lucky if you make it to the curator stage honestly but this last stage is the one i call the collector and a collector is so unique because they're the person that spends the million dollars to buy the piece of art and then they hang it on the museum for free but somehow create value and um it's really the first three stages have an addiction to cash and it's all about cash flow and what you're earning and what you're spending and trying to keep up with this, this fourth stage is only about value. So a collector, a a serious art collector, is not just an art buyer. They're not just buying things that they like, but they recognize if they put pieces together of large ideas over a long period of time, that because they own a collection of items, that whole collection is worth more. So one example I have is I was um, recently in New York City and I found a plaque on the side of a building. And it was a description of a man who had lived there and bought the building and owned the building. And one of the things he was famous for was his stamp collection that was housed inside of this building. And I thought to myself, how random is that? That really stamps a series of 15 cent purchases over time could be worth so much money. But what it was is he had taken the time and put it over, the, put this entire collection together over many years that with one purchase, another buyer could own all that he had spent the years and time to do. And that's the conversion. It's recognizing a long-term value and a long-term purpose for your career. So that last stage is when I believe that we're all moving forward. And although in creative career, we have fame, fortune, and freedom, what I say in this final stage, what you need is influence. And it's really looking back on the, the people and the effort and the time, the situations, and the value you, you create and the influence you have over it. So then when we're kind of later in our careers and we have less ability and less time and less energy, all we need is our influence. And I can say, hey, Christina, you should talk to my, my buddy Patrick. You guys can make a show together. And by making that one connection, large value is created. And I have enough influence to be able to say, Patrick, you need to hear what Christina is doing. So that, that's the type of influence that you play out year after year after year. But what the tricky part is, it has to be collected. So if you're going to be a collector later in your years, you have to start realizing that collection today. So I'm motivated by books like Think and Grow Rich or How to Win Friends and Influence People, where they're trying to give you principles of patching things throughout many, many, many years and then recognizing who you are in that process, the value you create in that process, and then what you can leverage in your later greater stages of your career.:
2: That's fascinating. If you don't mind me asking, how did you how did you arrive at these these four stages, what in your life, who did you talk to, what experiences that you did you have that made you kind of see these and be able to lay them out like this?
0: That's such a good question. I, one, I think I'm very lucky because I can remember why I did things in my career. So I can I have the ability to reflect back on oh, I remember that stage of life, my life, and I made this choice, and I liked some items and I didn't like others and then I became an advisor as a consultant at Revthink. I became an advisor for creative business owners, and they at first just wanted to know if they, we can you know help them maximize sales or balance their balance sheet for cash flow and I was solving the day-to-day, week-by-week, month-by-month problems for, for many of these owners. But when those consultants stayed on for 6, seven, eight, 10, 12 years, I really had to play a larger role in being an advisor for them and not only how are we doing in 2018, but what's it going to be like in 2025 for them. So in trying to solve larger problems for my clients, I started seeking other models or ideas of where people might survive later in life, have mm-hmm. up influence, mm-hmm. And I started finding some really great friends that would do that, and one of them was a was a gentleman who, in a young age, owned a magazine and was able to accumulate ideas and thoughts. Where that he eventually converted it to Comic Cons, and when he owned all the Comic Cons, he started talking about now that he had the Comic Cons, he had a lot of influence. So now he can promote a movie or start a new thing or create, a, you know, a, a new industry because he had all this influence. And I started recognizing, oh. Really, it's the collection of many little things that you push later for influence. And that started me kind of dissecting the pieces and the parts that I knew so I can start answering questions for my clients. And then by doing that, I modeled it out through, you know, creative ideas or what people can relate to from a creative perspective artist auteur, curator and collector.
2: Well, I talked a little bit about revthink in my introduction, but I want to know more about what was what was the point in your career that you thought okay, I'm ready to to move stages and maybe you hadn't even, you know, come up with them yet, but I'm ready to move stages and and do this in a consultancy role.
0: That's a good question too. Um, actually there was a point in time where I think it was my choice to really move from that artist stage to our tour stage. And uh, I honestly wasn't doing it very well. The, the friends I was engaging with for my approach of going about it um, really didn't seem to have a lot of legs. So for a short time, I quit. I, I left the business and I went to seminary because I wanted to be part of something larger that had a larger impact on my culture, um, could take care of people that I knew. And it was in that seminary period that when I when I thought about the people that I knew, I thought, Oh, I know. I can really minister to the people I already love, my friends in this industry. And RevThink was a consultancy kind of launched out of that stage of my life thinking, I think I know enough and I can help people, but I also really want to. And that wanting to help people is where the consultancy got launched. And really some of even caring about my clients now to think through the four stages of a creative career on their behalf is really continuing continuing to fulfill that idea of ministry and thought, um, on many of my clients behalf or my, the industry as much as I can.
2: I had an opportunity to watch you uh, interact with someone that, um, that you're kind of working with and, um, uh, in, in watching your interactions, I thought it was, it was very interesting, uh, the questions that you asked, how do you know the correct questions to ask? And I know you've done this over years now, so you've probably developed them uh, as you went along, but asking the right questions is key to getting at, at, at the answer at the core of what they want and what their motivations are, so what, what, how, what led you to, to ask the right questions? Wow, oh,
0: that's a really good question. You know asking the right questions is a desire um, to and curiosity. so I really am still naive in a lot of areas of business or can recognize where others might not totally understand what's going on so Knowing that I am curious and I want to grow and I want to expand, and even though I might have greater knowledge than some people in the room, I still have things I'm curious and want to learn. So, knowing to have that heart or that mind going into it, and then um, really trying to figure out how to listen. So I knew I know young when I was younger in my career, I thought it was all about what I was going to say, so I can position myself in the right way. So I can say the right words and move myself up. And I didn't advance as fast as when I started to listen to what other people were saying and then converting that into relevant knowledge or purposeful knowledge. Um, so that that early stages of just trying to discern and learn, trying to grow my own career, probably in a lot of selfish ways. I was learning so that I can figure things out so I can be the best in the world at it or, or whatever that desire is. Um, and then today, wanting to just pass it on. So, I'm potentially in the curator stage, going to collector stage, where I know that in order to create scale, I have to let go of things faster so that more people know it, so more opportunities available for those around me, so greater opportunity comes for all of us. And it's by letting things go and shedding it and passing on the knowledge as fast as possible that more opportunities come my way and to grow. And now I love that stage. I just want to hand it out to fast as possible and ask all the questions that we can ever imagine as fast as possible so we can get to the answers. And move on in our lives
2: well you know that's noticeable i'm just you know playing around on your website a little bit as i have for the past few weeks it looks like part consultancy but also part think tank and also part um, education platform so there are a lot of um, uh, free items that you can get there items you can purchase as well but a lot of just really good information for people maybe not even in your industry but in other industries that you can kind of pick and choose and apply to your own life
0: yeah that's very observant we We really started realizing that by um, creating an education platform or doing our podcast, writing white papers, even just publishing articles, um, we would get deeper into conversations and have deeper thoughts or stronger thoughts about um, aspects of our industry or just business in general. So we kind of think of thinking of ourselves as starting a conversation. Like we want to begin the dialogue any way we can. And so our website has really become a platform where we can have that conversation. Many things are worked out. I mean, our consultancy could just dis- disappear if someone would just read the whole website. They wouldn't need us anymore. But the, the ability to start the conversation and engage others um, really kind of sparks um, a desire to want to know more and hopefully have a conversation with us or join one of our conferences, listen to one of our online um, conversations or be part of one of our accelerators. Um, we just want as much as possible to to begin that conversation. A lot of we just started a program called Cohort, where business owners, a small group of business owners in Los Angeles, New York, Denver, San Francisco, are getting together and having dinner together. And these is not uncommon; these small groups. Um, but it's so insightful what you gain from a small group of conversation, because our belief is conversations change the world. And if you can just begin a conversation and then let it go. Let, let the group inspire each other to find problems and solutions within, within one night or, you know, a three-night three session. Um, it's amazing what comes out of it. And it's very rewarding
2: for everyone that attends. And the food is good. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Especially in all of those cities. I've eaten, I think, in all of them. Um, so <laughs> yes. I don't want to miss it, though. You broke up a little bit when you were saying exactly who this small group of people are. Like, what Are they from just the creative industry, many industries?
0: Yeah, the the group that we're curating with cohort is um, small business creative entrepreneurs. So most of them own um, production company, motion design companies, um, sound studios, um, things within the creative field.
2: I ask this of all my guests, um, what do you do to stay creative? So how do you uh, do you? Is there a certain habit that you participate in or, you know, a hobby or something that when you feel like I need to kind of replenish and, and get back to some creative energy, what do you do?
0: Oh, I love it. Um, Well, I read. I read a lot and a lot and a lot. So um, just by reading other people's work, life stories, I prefer reading biographies, hearing how other people have taken on the challenges of life. Um, overcome things. That inspires me to recognize or see opportunity in my own life to improve or try out new things, or even get advice based on what I've heard from other stories. Um, And then uh, I'm very lucky. I have a, a wife and five boys, and we homeschool our kids. So we get to do a lot of traveling. And we've taught our kids from a young age to appreciate the art and arts. So whenever, whatever city we're in, we'll go to museums, go to shows, even just a Marvel movie is kind of fun. Um, and then my kids have learned with me to dissect the pieces of parts, what it takes to be a creative person, to recognize someone's hard work over their career or the opportunity that they've had that we can't wait to see something more out of it. And uh, to to recognize all the small pieces that they to come together to, to make a movie or to put it, make a painting. Or I just saw Hamilton recently. I'm just blown away at the creative energy to create such an amazing show very, very different than others. Music is outstanding and so relevant for today's culture. Um, All of that just makes me want, maybe out of jealousy, but I just want to be part of it. I just want to take a bite of many pieces like that. So I'm not done. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever be done, but I really want to, as much as possible, engage in that creative process. So I just feel it's my part to keep on learning and, and striving to do more.
2: Fantastic. All right. Let's uh, just I want to tell our viewers where they could see examples of, of what you're doing now. I know RevThink, the, the website, of course, if you can give the website and maybe your favorite podcast or two in the last few months that you, you think is particularly interesting for anyone in any field.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, yeah, our, our, website, our website, RevThink.com, that's where we have our articles, our um, podcasts and many of our accelerators. Um, Joel, my partner and I, we go to a lot of conferences, so we get to meet other conference speakers and thinkers. And uh, we kind of travel around with a band of people. One of them is a man named Chris Doe. He has a podcast and a website called The Future, and he helps creatives young in a younger stage than what Think helps with. Really it's just the uh, starting stage of where do I find a job or how do I position myself in a job or, you know, how do I establish my first rate for our client. Um, but I love what Chris is doing because he's um, he's really helping in the finer details of what it takes to get the job done. And uh, recently he did a podcast with a, with a writer, or I'm sorry, he, he was a filmmaker named Danny Yount. And Danny's process of being a filmmaker and main title corrector, creator is so inspiring to hear the process that Danny starts with from being young, where he started from, and how he is now an influencer within a culture. I just love all the steps that Danny took. So uh, Chris Doe's podcast in the future with Danny Younce
2: is, is a great one. Fantastic. All right, Tim Thompson, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate all the insight and and just absolutely love Rev Think. I can't wait to come down and take another lecture very soon.
0: Yeah, we'll see you soon. I think it's going to happen October, November. So can't wait to see you.
2: That's Tim Thompson from RevThink. Check him out at revthink.com. Just a, a great guy and so many interesting things on the website too, especially if you are uh, a creative and you want to check it out even if you aren't. There's some great methods you can read more about the four stages of a creative career. I told him, "You got to write a book." I don't know when he'll find the time between the 15 under 100 other things he's doing and the five boys his wife and he are raising. Um, but you can check him out there. Thanks so much for being here on A Fresh Agenda. I'm Christina Mendonça. Let's stay connected.
1: You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more free resources, updates on upcoming events, or to learn how RevThink consultants advise creative entrepreneurs, please visit RevThink.com.
0: I want to tell you about a place to connect that you might not know about. It's our online community called Rev Community. It's a great place to get to know other creative business owners like yourself, to share some thought leadership and read other encouragement, to be challenged in this new marketplace, new technology, ideas, economic trends. And it's a place to research. Check out many of the resources we have online, our videos, and of course, this podcast. Join us today at RevThink.com slash community. If you're a creative studio owner, feel free to join us today at RevThink.com slash community. I look forward to seeing you there.